gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And we're going to take a break from doing reviews of books well we've had I, I went and counted before we recorded we had six books in a row and so I think this fall has just been a big time for publishing some good Christian books and we have another one next week and I think that'll be our last one for a little while a few things I wanted to mention before we get to today's topic. If you'd like to support the work that we're doing, you can do that in two ways. You can support us monthly on Patreon. Even just a few dollars a month really helps. And there's a link on our website. I will also put a link in the episode notes this week. You can also give a one-time donation on PayPal. And the same thing, it's on our website and in our episode notes. I am going to be announcing possibly next week, uh, for a couple weeks of a discount on our merch. So keep your eyes open for that. And again, there's a link on our website and in the episode notes if you want to check out the merch and definitely be looking for the discount code. If you haven't seen our Theology Gals journals and notebooks, we have some prayer and Bible reading journals. We also have uh, some scripture and catechism memory books and then sermon notes notebooks, including for children. And there's two different ones for kids. We created those based on we created those based on things that we had for our own children when they were younger. So definitely check all those out. Again, you can find everything on our website, theologygals.com, and then you can also find links to everything in our episode notes. So one of the requests we get in the group all the time is um, people want to know about all different denominations and obviously reformed denominations, but they also uh, just want to know about different denominations in general. So we thought it'd be good just to do an overview of 
a lot of the denominations in the in the United States. Let me say that because I know we do have a lot of international listeners. Uh, it would be virtually impossible to hit every denomination. We're just going to talk about some of the main ones, and we're going to kind of end with the Reformed denominations. So we will we'll get to those. But we just want to talk about you know a lot of these denominations, where they came from, just some basic stuff because there's so many we're going to do. It's going to be really really basic, and we're going to put a few links. One of the links, um, well, Rachel, maybe you should tell about Todd's uh, church history series that we're going to be linking. Yeah. My pastor, Todd Bordeaux, did a series uh, for adult Sunday school uh, last year on uh, American church history, and it's, I think, like 16 episodes or so. But they're all recorded, and they're all available on Sermon Audio, and we'll, we'll include the link. But he goes through all of what happened in American church history as far as the different denominations and the influences, and um, it really put it into perspective for me and things that I wasn't aware of. So, um highly recommend the series and i've listened to just a few so far but it's it's really really good i mean your pastor does some cool sunday schools because i'm been listening to the recent one too and it's on so holy good. spirit yeah yes uh, it's been really good yeah and you know i'm gonna link that in the episode notes too because i know that often especially when we get people that have come out of a more charismatic background uh they will be like, I, I don't understand, you know, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit from Reformed perspective. And I think sometimes for people outside of that, or maybe with a more charismatic um, background, they'll think, well, do you guys even believe in the work of the Holy Spirit? And I think we actually have a very strong doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So It's been really cool. He's been talking about that. We have a number of people in our church who came out of uh, Pentecostal churches. And so, it's there are a lot of those questions asked and answered. Yeah, and even give some of the history uh, out there and stuff like that. So actually, even that, I think it was his first one where he talked about some of the history even fits a little bit into what we're going to talk about today. So um, yeah, it's it's really, really fast. I think American church history is is very fascinating. Well, we know, we know that there's a, a lot. It really starts right in the beginning of our country. Early in the United States, we had Anglican and various Reformed and Lutheran and Anabaptist and, and even Catholic. So, we had kind of all that from, from the start of our country. You also had, um, you know, with the, like with the Puritans coming, <clears throat> excuse me, they were, you know, Congregationalists, they were um, nonconformists, right? The, I mean, they weren't part of the Anglican Church. In England when they came here. So, it's kind of the, the early Baptists um, in a lot of ways as far as the the connection there of who they are. Yeah, and if you, if you study kind of some of the church history in Europe, you had a lot of state churches. So, we had a lot of people that didn't want the state church. Like my, my own family background in Sweden, you had the the Lutheran church that was a state church, and then they had the free Lutheran church, and then, you know, kind of came, my great-grandparents came to U.S. to plant churches with that, so, and a lot happened. I mean, it's definitely recommend Todd series. A lot happened in this country as far as, I think, really, if you want to see how we got from early in the U.S. to where we are now, a lot happened with the Great Awakenings. And I know a lot of people will point to the Second Great Awakening, but I really think it started with the First Great Awakening. 
I think you're right. There's a lot of, I guess, the flavor of um, religion in the U.S. has been very uh, influenced by what happened with both the first and second Great Awakenings. And one thing that you'll see is is kind of moving away from confessionalism, a greater emphasis on this Christian living over doctrine, and the holiness movement, which we'll get to, really influenced a lot. Experience being um, more important than doctrine. And we, we see that in a lot of churches even today. Like, I just, I just love Jesus. I'm just not into theology sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, there's also a lot of dis- distrust um, that begins during that time in, like, formal uh, theological training, like, so like seminaries for pastors and, uh, you know, the, the confessions and the creeds and all of those kind of formal uh, theological statements uh, were beginning to be viewed with suspicion as a result of the awakenings and the, the shifts. Yeah, and then you see if you read about a lot of this, you see some really bad theology <laughs> then mm-hmm. develop because of it. Uh, there's a there's a story of John Wesley, but I think it it communicates kind of some of what was going on, where he was really um, initially influenced in understanding the gospel um, because of I think it was Martin Luther's uh, commentary on Galatians. There's a, a little church history five minute uh, podcast that does a story on it, and I'll link that. So, uh, but what he said was. The Lutherans, they're strong on the gospel, but weak on sanctification. And, of course, Wesley went on to develop his doctrine of entire sanctification. We can stop sinning altogether. So, let's start with talking just about the mainline denominations. And if you read about the mainline denominations, there's, there's kind of six main ones. And then you'll see sometimes other ones included in that or not. We'll just, um, I'll, I'll talk about uh, ELCA, which is Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. My brother-in-law's dad, Rod Rosenblatt, says, well, it's not evangelical. It's definitely not Lutheran. It's not a church, but it is American. <laughs> so, that's a good way to describe. And my husband, so ELCA started in the 1980s, 1983. And um, there was some uh, Lutheran denominations that were a little bit more liberal than uh, the LCMAT, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which we'll talk about later. And so it, it kind of started from that. My husband was baptized LCMS, but then his parents and were part of one of those denominations that um, merged into ELCA. And so that's what my husband was in. And I will tell you from his experience, he he didn't even understand that we're sinners and Christ was necessary, even though there was, you know, some theology within the liturgy and stuff like that. It was just very, very liberal. Uh, The PCUSA is the Presbyterian Church in the United States. Um, It formed, this denomination formed in uh, 1983. It was a merger between the, um, the liberal Southern Presbyterian Church and the United Presbyterian Church, which was the Northern Church, um, it, the Southern had been the PCUS. So when the combined, it became the PCUSA. Um, and this happened. You know, this the Northern Southern split was the result of the Civil War. So this is the a reunification where you have the 
northern conservative churches like the OPC that had bro- broken off, you know, years before. And this is not about, what, 10 years after the PCA in the South broke off of the Presbyterian Church U.S. So this was, you know, once this realignment happened, then the, the northern, southern, more liberal or more progressive side of the Presbyterian Church joined forces and became you know, the, what's known as the, the PCUSA, and it's the large Presbyterian mainline church. This is, you know, a lot of times when you're telling someone, you know, I'm Presbyterian, like, oh, is it like, you know, this church? And I'm like, well, is it a really big church? Yeah, well, probably not. Has it been there a really long time? Not that kind of Presbyterian. Not that kind of Presbyterian. (laughs) More more recently, the uh, PCUSA has moved. I mean, when we talk about liberal or progressive, you know, we mean things like there's a, a number of people within the church and within you know, the, the pastors and elders of the denomination and the seminaries where, you know, it, it's okay to deny the miracles in Scripture. It's okay to deny uh, inspiration of Scripture and inerrancy. Um, you know, it's even okay to deny the virgin birth, you know, it, whether or not Christ um, was, you know, literally bodily resurrected. There, there are all these things that, you know, it becomes, it's okay to, to disagree, right, with what would be traditional confessional documents. And so, it, you know, while they would be, they would have been formed based on the same Presbyterian churches that, you know, we have our roots in as Presbyterians and the same documents and confessions and creeds, the actual beliefs of many of the, the, the church leaders are very different from what, um, what those foundational documents teach. Yeah, and a, lo- a lot of the mainline denominations are, as Rachel just described, um, although, even with the mainline denominations, you'll you'll still see varying degrees of conservative and liberal. Episcopal, um, I'm not going to say a lot about this, but a lot of the Episcopal churches have um, gone very liberal. In fact, there was a another organization we'll talk about later uh, that kind of started because the more conservative Episcopal churches were kind of frustrated with how liberal that the Episcopal churches in America were heading. The more recent discussions in, in many of the mainline churches where things have become, uh, you know, another, I guess, another round of, of people being concerned about what's going on in the mainline churches often entails um, with homosexuality about um, whether or not it's appropriate to uh, preside over um same-sex marriage, whether clergy can be same-sex attracted or in same-sex relationships. Um, you know, these are the, the more recent discussions that have um, caused you know, more conservative churches, who even who had been in these mainline denominations a long time, to begin moving out. Yeah, the American Baptist Church, another mainline denomination, they, they kind of let each church decide if they're going to perform gay weddings or not, you know, so you can find a huge difference in, um, even in Elka, because my husband's family are mostly Elka, will even talk in terms of that Elka is progressive, mm-hmm. that Elka is not, you know, um, so you, you can see just varying degrees and even some different theology where some will believe certain things about the essential doctrines of the Christian faith and some won't. Um, so, in the American um, Baptist Church, and of course, this, we see this with um, a lot of different Baptist denominations, there's an emphasis on autonomy, 
we're not going to talk a lot about church government today. Maybe we'll do an episode down down the line or something mm-hmm. about the different types of of church government. Um, but there's a difference between um, a Presbyterian church that has a Presbyterian General Assembly, and when you have autonomy, everything's just decided right there at the local level. And so that's the case with uh, the American Baptist Church. So they they give maybe a little bit more freedom for that reason. So the last two, um, and one thing I neglected to mention is these churches are all uh, very large churches. So like the PCUSA is known as the biggest Presbyterian denomination in the U.S. and uh, things like that. And to the degree that they're very liberal now, they they weren't necessarily, you know, in their history, all as liberal as they are now. So you have the United Church of Christ. And again, these these can vary too, I think, with each of these. Um, and that was the, the ev- and interesting enough, some history in the Reformed movement, the Evangelical and Reformed Church and the General Council of Congregational Christian Churches uh, united in 1957, and, and they formed the UCC. And then United Methodist, you know, came out of Methodism and the Holiness Movement. And that was the union of the Methodist Church and the Evangelical United Brethren Church. Something interesting that people might not know is in the Holiness Movement and in Methodism, they, where a lot of them are Baptists today, they were not all Baptists back in their beginning. Some of them um, even still baptize infants. And it's a different doctrine of, of baptism than in Reformed and Presbyterian. But I think because some of them had their history in Reformed and Presbyterian circles, like Charles Finney, who was a Presbyterian minister and then ended up completely Wesleyan, Arminian, actually Pelagian in his theology. A lot of our denominations that aren't Reformed uh, have their history in Methodism and the Holiness Movement. And that's really, again, things you see see a lot of this. Big influence from John Wesley and Charles Finney. Uh, they taught something, if you're not familiar, I went. I know a lot about this because I went to a Wesleyan Arminian Bible college that came out of the Holiness Movement and started, I think it started in the late 1800s or early 1900s, I don't remember, but it had been a combination of a few colleges that uh, had come directly out of the Holiness Movement. Okay, so entire sanctification was a really big um, doctrine. We we get this from John Wesley. He has a little a little booklet, um, and so they he taught that there was a second work of grace. So when I was in college, and I would go to these quote unquote revivals, they'd say you could come up to the altar, the anxious bench, to get saved, or you could come up to be entirely sanctified. So. It was a second work of grace. You get saved, then you get sanctified. And I know it's puzzling for those of us who understand the depth of our sin to think, how could they stop sinning? But they really have a different view of sin. Uh, I had a conversation with a woman that did some work at our, a missionary that was doing some work at our college. And she told me she'd been entirely sanctified for three years. And I said, well, I will never be entirely sanctified on this earth. I said, my thoughts are wicked. <laughs> I have very wicked thoughts. She goes, oh, that's just mistakes. So they're they're really looking at sin very different when they're talking about entire sanctification. 
So out of the holiness movement and Methodism, you have a lot of churches and they went different directions depending on what their emphasis was. So, you know, we even charismatic churches that came out of that and um, Pentecostalism and Nazarene. And so they, they all had some different em- emphasis depending on, on um, what was, I guess, deemed important to them. And so like in the Nazarene church, I'll give it, uh, so they came out of the holiness movement, very Arminian. Um, they, they think that the Holy Spirit, one of the things that he does is empowers us to constant obedience. And you'll find some legalism in there. Um, in my experience, at least, I know it's not true of all across the board, but a lot of them are teetotalers. So drinking alcohol is absolutely a sin. I've actually seen people from the Bible college I went to say, somebody saw wine coolers in such and such as refrigerator, so they must have lost their salvation. It's just, it's a very, very different world, different than what I grew up in, so it's kind of shocking um, to me. I won't talk a lot about the Keswick Higher Life Movement, but that's the Christian Missionary Alliance kind of had some influence from the holiness movement, but then also the Keswick Higher Life Movement. My husband actually knows a lot more about that than I do. <laughs> And so they have this fourfold gospel, Jesus as the Savior, the Sanctifier, the Healer, and the Coming King. And of course, in, because it's in the name, they're very big emphasis on, on missions. So another one is Church of Christ. Um, and again, because you have Church of Christ, churches are autonomous. Again, although they, they say they're autonomous, but united in beliefs. And they were... Um, kind of came out of the Restoration Movement, which was kind of a return to the New Testament church. Now, one thing um, in my reading and in talking to some people, they're, they're dispensational, they're anti-Calvinistic, um, and they have a very specific view of baptism, starting from the Holiness Movement, and then you had the, the Pentecostal and Pentecostal, even when we get to denominations like Assemblies of God, had influence because of something called the Azusa Street Revival. And this was a big revival that happened in Los Angeles, one of those churches down in Los Angeles that, and it was a huge revival. People came from all over the place to this revival. Uh, And a lot of Charismatics, Pentecostals, some of these denominations will point to the Azusa Street Revival as the Lord pouring out His Spirit and people were speaking in tongues and, you know, various things like that. I mean, it was a years-long revival. That, that's how long it was. In addition to the Azusa Street revival, uh, there are, and the Pentecostal churches that came from that, there are uh, seven historically African-American denominations. Uh, you have the AME Church, which is the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and it formed in the 1700s. Uh, it's a combination of some Methodist churches and some Episcopal churches that so that came together. Uh, a lot of these were started um, around the time in, in America with uh, various views on slavery going on. So you have churches that broke off and people that didn't feel they fit in the mainline or, or other churches around. And so they these denominations were formed. Uh, you have the uh, African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, uh, and it split off from the Methodist Church. You have the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, 
which is also Wesleyan, and it started in the 1870s in Tennessee. The Church of God in Christ, which has, um, I guess, over 5 million members. It was founded early in the 20th century. Um, it has a seminary, the C.H. Uh, Mason Seminary in Atlanta. There are three predominantly African-American Baptist conventions that are the National Baptist Convention of America, the National Baptist Convention USA, and the Progressive National Baptist Convention. Um, and then as well, the other two are churches, denominations that have a large um, historically African-American congregations are in the United Methodist Church and the PCUSA, so Presbyterian congregations. Just a very brief overview there. These are churches that if you live in areas with uh, diverse populations, you may encounter or come across people. Um, here in Houston, we have a lot of people who are uh, in the AME church. Now, several years ago, and I'm talking probably 2003 or 2004, so my memory is not super great, but um, for our church book group, we read the book on, on Being Black and Reformed, A New Perspective on the African-American Christian Experience. And that book goes over a lot of the history, uh, especially in the United States. So, if that's something you're interested in learning about, um, that might be a book. I don't know if it's still available because it was published a while ago, but had had a lot just on history in general in that book. So, Assemblies of God, probably a lot of people, it's a really large denomination. My town, which has zero Reformed churches, does have an Assemblies of God. So, that, that came out of the Pentecostal movement. So, back... Um, their history, again, goes back to the Holiness Movement and the Azusa Street Revival. One of the things I, I did want to mention just about Pentecostalism, a couple of things I, I neglected to mention about Pentecostalism in general, is um, there was an emphasis on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues as a third work of grace. So, out of the Holiness Movement, you had this second work of grace of sanctification, and now they added a third work of grace of um baptism with the Holy Spirit. Um, but the, again, in Pentecostalism, uh, you have a lot of variation. So, one of the debates that came in Pentecostalism was over the Trinity. And so, you had kind of that split. You had the the oneness Pentecostals that came out of that that um, did not hold to the Trinity. So, you may have, you know, heard of oneness Pentecostals along the way. Yeah, we have a number of Assembly of God churches here. Um it's pretty common. So, looking at one of the other churches that's that came kind of distinctly American uh, is the the Quaker, although they do come out of the Church of England. Uh, they were formed out of dissenting Protestant groups. Uh, they had been known in the past for um, dressing um, plainly, so plain dress, being um, uh, pacifists. They do believe in a continuing revelation. Their, their website that talks about Quakerism talks about they have a belief in the possibility of direct, unmediated communion with the divine. And they have a, a commitment to living lives that attest to this inward experience. Often refer to each other or themselves as friends. Um, you, know, you get this, uh, if you know your, your U.S. history, in the Pennsylvania and, and the friends there, uh, there's a, a lot of Quaker influence in uh, the early American uh, fathers. Another you have, it's uh, 
particularly up in the Midwest and in, into Pennsylvania, you have the Amish and Mennonites. Uh, these are Anabaptist groups that come out of um, Switzerland, Germany with the uh, Joseph Menno. Uh, my husband grew up um, in Pennsylvania. His family were Mennonite. His um, father came out of um, Amish, both from Old Order to the, the it goes Old Order Mennonite, Old Order Amish, um, Beachy Amish, Black Bumper Mennonite to Mennonite, which um, vary in degrees of of beliefs about what you can and can't do. Um, old order and, are the ones that you would see that dress a certain way that, uh, you know, the men wear beards, but not mustaches. Um, the married men do. Uh, and then depending on their Bishop determines whether or not they have access to telephones in the house or somewhere on the property, or if they can use certain uh, equipment, if they have electricity, it varies community to community. Um, black bumper Mennonite, they were allowed to have cars as long as the cars had black bumpers, which I find fascinating uh, because I guess chrome was showy, so they could paint it black and then it wasn't showy. Anabaptists in general, these are, uh, they're often pacifists, so they uh, are against war, and this is still true today within the Mennonite church. Um, there is also... Um, very firmly believing that you must be baptized after you profess faith, so uh, only believers' baptism, and a strong amount of belief in the ability to lose your salvation. Um, so, you know, you could confess your faith, be a believer, be baptized, but then you can do things, and then you would lose your salvation, and you would need to rededicate later on to become when you come back to faith. Uh, it's It's amusing to me how much people kind of romanticize the old order Amish Mennonite beliefs. You have all those you know, Christian fictions that are Amish romances. Um, and Hallmark movies. Right. It's actually a very oppressive system. It is very uh, works righteousness, very much. Um, you have to do things the right way in order to be saved. And so, you know, you can be kicked out for not dressing the right way or believing the right things or saying the right things or, you know, it's, and then there's a lot of self-righteousness in it that we've done things the right way. We're the only ones who are right. Um, so that's, that's speaking very much old order. Modern Mennonites is really more like any other uh, Anabaptist denomination. Um, if you went to a Mennonite church, uh, that's, modern Mennonites, you wouldn't notice a lot of differences from most non-denominational Baptist-leaning type churches. A friend of mine lives in Pennsylvania in a very, a very strong Amish and Mennonite community. And when we visited them a few years ago, she was telling me some of the differences between the different groups. Mm -hmm. Um, So she was telling me, well, these Mennonites over here, they're allowed to wear colors, but not flowers or, you know, just, you know, there's a lot of. It varies by the bishop. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the bishop who is in the, the guy in charge of your church congregation area will determine. And that can vary as if your bishop changes, things change or can. Um, where Matt grew up when he was, they were Mennonite until he was nine or 10. You know, they, they had all the, modern conveniences at their farm, but the farms around them um, are, were 
Amish farms and no electricity. And there's a lot of buggies would go by. And it was amusing to me, you know, as this is not my culture that I grew up in, but we'd have the buggies would go by by the farm. You can hear them. You can hear the horses. You can hear the buggies go by. And a lot of times the, the teenagers especially have, they have radios. They listen to the music. They have to have battery operated things in the buggy to have lights on it. So they're safe to be on the roads. And so teenagers listen to music, but they will turn the music down when they get to, when they're passing an Amish farm. So they don't get in trouble. So you'll hear it. It'll be quiet. Then it'll be loud music in front of <laughs> <laughs> passing our farm or Matt's farm. And then it would be, they'd turn it off again before the next farm. It just, and then neighbors would come by to use the phone at his parents' place because they didn't have a phone, but they needed to get picked up for work. It's, it's very interesting. So we're going to, um, before we get to kind of Lutheran and reformed, um, two large nominations, uh, obviously the, the SBC and we know SBC is, is in that list of some of the biggest denominations in the United States. Yes, yeah, so I've talked about before. I did grow up SBC. My grandparents were missionaries in South America for the SBC. Um, the SBC was formed, I guess, it's 1845. It's a collection of like-minded churches. Um, there is the Baptist Faith and Mes- Message, which is uh, kind of a, a general agreed-upon um, statement of beliefs. Although even there, it's it's not very detailed. Not like. Um, most of the confessions, Reformed confessions um, and catechisms. And mostly the biggest, the two biggest things for the SBC are uh, believers baptism by immersion and uh, church autonomy. Each of the churches are independent of each other. They do um, come together for the convention. They do support uh, financially uh, for the convention, but there is no, oversight of one church to the other there is no uh, enforcing of beliefs or you know each church can have its own flavor about what they do and how uh, so you can have some sbc churches that uh, are you know kind of calvinistic uh, you have some that are very arminian and some that are uh, even more progressive or liberal in their beliefs it's pretty much a mixed bag but the Like I said, the two things, they very strongly believe in church autonomy, and they very strongly believe in believer's baptism by immersion. So, and this is one of those, you know, my husband and I were both baptized uh, in, he was baptized in a non-denominational church by immersion as a believer, and I was baptized in a Southern Baptist church by immersion. Um, And so, you know, we would be allowed to join without rebaptism. Our children, of course, because they were baptized as infants and sprinkled. Uh, would be required to be rebaptized in order to be members of an SBC church. I've I've never been SBC in my whole life, but just um, I've known a lot of people. My uh, best friend's dad uh, was SBC pastor, and uh, so at one church at SBC, you actually have to sign something that you're not going to drink or dance or. You know, so you can have that extreme. You can have a um, one that holds to the Second London Baptist Confession. Some have elders, some have deacons that are like elders. Some have both elders and deacons. I mean, it's some have like a a session type organization. Um, in general, it's still congregational polity, uh, so you have a lot of congregational votes on things. Here in 
in the Houston area and then through much of the South, you know, the SBC is, is dominant denomination. Uh, most churches around are going to be Southern Baptist or non-denominational, which is generally Baptist without the name. Uh, although there is a non-denominational church here that is actually Methodist, which is interesting. So, again, yeah, we have SBC, we have Lutheran, um, Catholic, uh, Pentecostal are the main denominations around, and very few Presbyterians. And it is amazing, thinking about regionally, mm-hmm. that um, you do have certain denominations that are, if you go, okay, if you go to Wisconsin or Minnesota, um, there are parts of Wisconsin and Minnesota, there is a Lutheran church on every other corner. Mm-hmm. And the town that my that my mother-in-law grew up in had the Lutheran church that the Norwegians went to. Then it had the Lutheran church that the Germans went to. And then the Lutheran church that the Swedes went to. Now, back a hundred years ago, um, a lot of times that the reason why that was necessary is because the Norwegian Lutheran church held services in Norwegian, Mm. you know, and Mm -hmm. you don't have that, that um, sort of distinction so much anymore, but you know, certain type, you do see certain denominations um, have a lot more churches in certain areas. So I, I forgot to mention non-denominational. I think everybody knows what this means. It, they don't have any affiliations or um, they're kind of independent on their own. It, it is true that practically speaking, most of the non-denominational churches are likely to be um, uh, believers baptism. Yes, this is true. Likely to be um, um, Arminian over Calvinist. They're likely to be um, dispensational. Dispensational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that works those too. tend to be, you know, and that's that's just historically speaking. You're speaking about the Lutherans. People don't. A lot of people don't know. Texas has a large German Lutheran population, and so um, yeah, there's a lot of Lutherans here. And and a lot of it had to do with where people settled mm-hmm. when they when they came here. Like my family, when they came from Sweden, um, settled in Minnesota. You know, so and Brent's um, parents' family when they came from Norway settled in Wisconsin. So Evangelical Free Church is probably one I'm most familiar with. I I grew up in the Evangelical Free Church. Um, so there is some similarities between the Evangelical Free Church and the SBC in that um, they're autonomous and their theology can vary a lot. You can go to one that's Arminian. You can go to one that is. Uh, Calvinistic or even holds to, you know, the is more Reformed Baptist. Now, some people don't know this, but in the Evangelical Free Church, because their history is Lutheran, so it, it kind of went the the state church in Norway and Sweden, and then the free Lutheran church in Norway and Sweden, which ended up here in the United States. My great-grandparents, so my great-grandparents that came here to, to plant churches. So, eventually, you had the, the Norwegian Free Lutheran or the Norwegian Free Church. Then it, it kind of went from free Lutheran to just free. So Norwegian Free Church and Swedish Free Church. And there was definitely a lot of changes because um they ended up very dispensational and not really Lutheran. But the thing that may surprise some people, which is different than the SBC, is that um each congregation can choose credo or pedo baptism. Now there is not very many of the Pado Baptists, Evie Freeze left, but that is in there. You know that that's still the case that they can uh, choose that. 
it was founded in in 1950, and my grandparents were actually missionaries with the Swedish Free Church um, when the Evangelical Free Church started. They both grew up in the Swedish Free Church, and then some of my extended family, my, my grandma was from a family of nine kids, and every single one of those kids was a pastor or married to a pastor or missionary. And um, so some of my family was involved in that beginning of the of the denomination. And then my grandpa was head, after they left the mission field, he was head of missions for the Evangelical Free Church. And I have lots of uh, extended family that are pastors and missionaries in the Evangelical Free Church. So and when I left the Evangelical Free Church, it was... It was like devastating <laughs> to my family. <laughs> what are you doing? It's like this is in your blood. So, um, no, I mean it wasn't quite that bad. But my dad would always say to me, "Can't you find an EV free near you?" <laughs> so um, Lutheran. There's lots of Lutheran um, denominations, and um, I'm gonna stick with the. Well, I picked two kinds. I picked the biggest ones in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I picked one denomination because we have some girls in our group that are from that one. So LCMS, which is Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, that's the second largest after ALCA, which we talked about earlier in Mainline. And they started actually in 1847, so a pretty old denomination. In the, you'll find with the Lutheran churches that where they were based, you'll, you'll find the name in it. So you have Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Yeah, we'll get to um, Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Church Synod, too. Um, so, the Missouri Synod and Wisconsin Synod are the conservative uh, Lutheran denominations, although I would say probably Wisconsin is a bit more conservative, and they have some things that separate the Missouri Synod and Wisconsin Synod, uh, one of those things being their view on women, even though both believe only qualified men are to be pastors and elders. Let me uh, mention which confessions that mm-hmm. the um, that they hold to um, generally you'll find a lot of that most Lutherans hold to the the same one so I'll just mention ones that that you'll find that Luther's small and large catechism Augsburg confession apology of the Augsburg Conve- confession small called articles and the formula of Concord you'll I probably hear from my Lutheran friends about the formula of Concord the most, but um, and also the Augsburg Confession. So I'll mention real quick, the ALC, it's a really small Lutheran denomination, and they do have communion with Missouri Synod. So, you know, Missouri Synod pastor could go preach in the ALC. And we actually have some girls in our group that are part of the Church of the Lutheran Brethren of America. So I usually hear them called Lutheran Brethren. And... Um, so they're less liturgical. They might look a little bit more like an evangelical church, but with Lutheran theology. Yeah, I went to LCMS schools here in Houston. And so in eighth grade, everybody, our religion class was confirmation class for all my friends. So I've been through um, the catechism and the uh, Lutheran catechism and all of the things that my friends did for confirmation out here, church that we went to um, before a lot of the kids from our church went to the LCMS school, just because it was the best religious school around here. So, and, yeah, the LCMS tend to believe that um, 
education is part of the ministry of the church. And so there very often are formed schools um, until more recently with, it's been harder to do this, but a lot of the churches, if you remember the church, your tithe was your tuition. So it was not, um, they weren't elite private schools or expensive private schools. They were everyday people sending their kids to school. If you look at a lot of these denominations, we're not going to get into them now as there's, there is some history with education and church schools and stuff like that. The Assemblies of God Church in our town, I don't know if they still do, but for a long time, you you could go there for free. Not not even just members, which I found fascinating. Um, I used to see their little sign outside, Christian school for free or something like that. Anglican, there's so much that could be said. <laughs> so, um, I thought just for, we talked about Episcopal, the main line, but um, in 2009 was the ACNA was started. And this was Episcopals and Anglicans that were concerned with that more liberal direction. Um, Episcopal churches can vary so much. So you, you have a lot of people that joined the ACNA. Um, and I wanted to mention too, Reformed Episcopal Church, which I don't hear about them so much anymore, but um, in the 90s, Michael Horton was ordained in the Reformed Episcopal Church. And I know some people left the uh, Reformed Episcopal Church because they added women in authoritative church positions. There's also a Reformed Anglican Church, right? There is a Reformed Anglican. A friend of mine went to Reformed Anglican Church. I'm not sure what their church has done now, but... Um, there's, there's been a lot of changes, I think, especially in the last 30 years mm. in um, a, even a lot of the mainline denominations when you have not, not only things that have been debated are first it was, do we marry homosexuals? Then it was, do we ordain homosexuals? You know, a lot of those sorts of issues that have come up. So I guess we will move on to um, reform churches. And we're just going to hit the main ones, um, but I know this is what a lot of people are interested in. And uh, NAPARC, you will hear us talk about NAPARC. We're going to talk about the NAPARC churches first. And that is the North American Presbyterian and Reformed Council. Again, this is basic. We're going to include some, I found an article about the difference between PCA and OPC. I'll include that because there's so much more we could say than we're going to. The, uh, yeah, NAPARC. The denominations that we'll list here under NAPARC, these are ones that all consider, they consider themselves sister denominations. Um, these are ones that, you know, if you transfer your membership from one to the other, they, you know, they, you can move your letter, um, which is a way of, you don't have to, they recognize each other as sister churches. And so there's communion between them. And when they have general assembly, they have delegates from the various denominations come and talk. So these are, are ones that have particularly close relationship and uh, agreements about what they believe. Uh, the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, was formed in 1973. It was it broke off of the Southern uh, Presbyterian Church U.S. as a conservative uh, denomination. Um, it was founded to be faithful to the Scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. That's the the saying. Of the Napark denominations, the PCA is the largest by a, a bunch. And there are churches in the PCA all over uh, the U.S., although it's still uh, more in the South than elsewhere. PCA holds to the Westminster Confession, to qualified male ordination for elders, holds to the inspiration of Scripture, all of the 
the conservative reformed distinctives. And uh, I will tell you, um, when my husband and I travel, we'll, we'll often visit a PCA church just because there's more PCAs than OPC or URCL that we'll sometimes visit those. And they can differ a lot. I would say that I've seen PCAs differ from one another more than I've seen like OPCs mm-hmm. or URCs. Um, That's true. You, you'll go to one that might, like our one here, has almost like a band up front. Um, no, I've been in those. I've been in praise teams uh, and PCA churches, I guess. Um, and then also in ones that were very, um, very much like other OPC churches as far as yeah. the type of worship and liturgy, liturgy used. Yeah, we we visited a PCA in Pennsylvania outside Philadelphia on a trip a few years ago. And um, it really didn't look any different than any OPC I've been in. So, Although there are some that are more um, liturgical, so like more they're higher, yeah. like high church. Um, there are some that are pretty much identical to any other evangelical, even Baptist kind of feel for the worship style. Um, it just varies. Yeah, actually, the one that we visited um, on our trip this summer was very, very liturgical. It kind of, it actually reminded me most of a more liturgical URC that we had visited. Um, although someone from that church said to me, are we too Anglican? Which I hadn't really thought that. But mm-hmm. then the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, I I don't think that any Orthodox Presbyterian church has a praise band, at least that I'm aware of, that I've seen. They're probably a little bit more uniform in their in their worship. I'm going to include an article that talks about the differences between the OPC and the PCA. The biggest difference, the OPC was founded, of course, um, in the 30s after the Northern, in the Northern Church, Presbyterian Church, there was a split. Uh, the conservatives that came out formed the OPC. Uh, with Machen. And of course, the, their seminary then would have been Westminster in um, Pennsylvania. And, and I, you know, we didn't even get to some of the schools that are associated with all these denominations, but almost all these denominations have their own colleges and seminaries, and you've got seminaries associated with SBC and with, um, I think, a, a lot of the Reformed seminaries you you might find people that go to different denominations, or you find that a lot of them go to certain seminaries or mm-hmm. things like that. The URCNA, the United Reformed Church of North America, and that was that that came about in 1996. Um, there was kind of a split from the CRC. CRC was heading what was viewed as more liberal. Uh, some of the views on women and uh, things like that. They hold to the three forms of unity. So a lot of times Presbyterians hold to the Westminster Standards and Reformed hold to the three forms of unity. In the Reformed Presbyterian Church in America, so that's RPCNA, um, that was the first, I've told the story before, I did not know what Reformed was. I definitely didn't know what Presbyterian was. I thought all Presbyterians were USA Presbyterians, so I thought they were all more liberal. Um, and I looked up Reformed in the Yellow Pages. 1994, and so I ended up at the RPCNA. Uh, and 
you you may know the RPCNA as being distinct in that they don't use musical instruments and they only sing psalms. And um, it has to do with their view on the regulative principle of worship. I don't know as much about, um, you know, like I said, the here in Houston area, we have a number of PCA churches. We have a couple OPCs. We have a single ARP and that's about it as far as the reformed. And I, I know that one thing I have seen is that in some areas like that, I was familiar with or that I had been to PCAs that were smaller PCAs, but then you have in the South some bigger ones, mm-hmm. you know, like Florida has some really big ones in Georgia. Briarwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you, do you have any Atlanta. large ones by you? Um, PCA? Yeah. There are PCA churches in Houston that have 300 plus members. Uh, See, that's so big for Reformed That's big church. for a Reformed Church, right. <laughs> I know. Um, you know. We joke that, you know, our OPC Church with, with 100 members is, you know, a, a mega church for the OPC. Yeah, if you get 150 people in an OPC, that's a mega church. Yeah. Um, one of the... Although there are some really large OPC churches. There, there is. I was just thinking of that. I think in Michigan, and speaking of regional, you find lots of Reformed Churches in Michigan. Uh, and one of the girls in our group goes to a really large OPC. Um, it's I don't know if it's in Grand Rapids or near Grand Rapids. So then you have the the ARP also. Um, they hold to the Westminster standards. I'm going to try to find some resources if you want to read in more detail. But there is a lot of similarities between Nate Park churches. Mm-hmm. In fact, in in our in the Theology Gals Facebook group, I no longer allow people to say, I need a church recommendation in such and such city because a lot of times people were coming in and giving not so great recommendations of churches. And so now we, if somebody is looking for a church, we just say, go look for a new park church. Um, and then the RCUS, um, they hold to the three forms of unity. Uh, some of you might know Sam Powell. He's a He's a pastor in the RCUS out in California. So um, there are some other, we we're just going to briefly mention, there are some other Reformed churches that are not part of NAPARC. So maybe you could talk about the EPC. EPC is um, Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Uh, there, During the time when the churches we're leaving the PCUSA more recently. A number of, of the, the more conservative churches ended up going into the EPC. And the EPC can be very conservative, but they allow um, each presbytery to determine whether or not they'll ordain women. That uh, was the big question. Um, so when a church joins the EPC, uh, they can, or at least this is the way it has been done, they can choose which presbytery to join based on who they align closely with, um, not just based on um, like geographical proximity. So some EPC churches then are very conservative, uh, very much like uh, like a PCA church. Um, others are more uh, progressive, especially on the the topic of ordaining women. So it can be you would you'd want to do your research. It, the issue of ordaining women, I think, is the reason the main reason why the EPC is not part of NAPARC. At least that's what I've surmised. 
There are some good EPC churches. There are. Uh, There's a large EPC church here in Houston. It's the one that's connected with RTS Houston. Um, It's the one that Ligon Duncan comes, that's where he preaches when he comes to town. Uh, And they have recently joined the PCA here. But they were part of the the more conservative um, EPC. Yeah, we have a, um, a more conservative EPC here that some friends of ours went to. Uh, so we were there for an event and a funeral. It just really varies. So the other part with the, with the EPC is the issue of charismatic gifts. Is that that's the other one? FCC is the Free Church of Scotland continuing, and they're a really tiny denomination, not part of NAPARC. Um, I'd say more similar to the RPCNA. And, you know, only psalms, no instruments, and they have some other distinctives. Um, and do you want to mention the CREC? Yeah, I mean, Reformed is in the, the name, the CREC. I would not include it with Reformed denominations because it is not actually Reformed. It's not, they, they consider themselves Presbyterian. They are not Reformed or Presbyterian in their beliefs or practices. Um, the CREC was formed... Um, by Doug Wilson, um, he founded his own denomination. The the churches that are part of the community. Oh, of it did, I, they used to be churches. called Confederation, I though. Think I think it was. Yeah, I think they changed That's the name. Right. Um, formerly the Confederation. See, there we go. It was founded in '98, um, so it's fairly new. You know, at being formed by Doug Wilson. Most of the churches, uh, or many of the churches, hold to various uh, doctrinal errors like federal vision, um, pedo communion, which is the communion where children of all ages, even before profession of faith, um, are allowed to take communion. You know, we talked about if you want to know more about what they believe and why, uh, why we consider it a concern, you can listen to our episodes. We should link them in the notes on federal vision. Because that's that's really where you're going to get into that. So, yeah, no, we would certainly not recommend any CREC church. And uh, the CREC does have some, not not all, but some pastors that left NAPARC. Um, they do allow you to be paid or credo Baptist. So it's kind of like a bunch of a lot of things. <laughs> and there are, yes, a number of pastors who left their denomination and went into the CREC. And one thing I wanted to mention is just because somebody has reformed in the name, because Rachel had said, they have reformed in the name, um, does not mean that they are reformed. Somebody was telling me they're a reformed church and they're dispensational, not confessional, you know, not even Baptist confession, nothing. So sometimes reformed is used in different ways. So, if you are looking for a church, do your research. Um, research the denomination or their associations. There are some Reformed Baptist associations. Some Reformed Baptist churches are independent, and so within the Reformed Baptist realm, it can really vary. There's some Reformed Baptist churches that are SBC. I wanted to mention, lastly, I'd forgotten to put this on the list, but I'm going to mention it anyways, even though they're They've shrunk in size a lot, and that's the Sovereign Grace mm. um, churches. So they're one that would maybe consider themselves Reformed, but really aren't. And when we had some friends that uh, that decided to go there, they they called it the Charismatic Reformed Church. But that's one that we wouldn't uh, necessarily recommend either. 
they tend to be more patriarchal too. We didn't mention the particular Baptists, which are you know, Baptists that hold to the London Confession, um, you know, which is it's different from groups that just that say they're Reformed Baptist. It's a an actual group called the Particular Baptists that hold to a confession. I'm glad you mentioned that. See, there's so there's so much we can mention when we come to denominations. There are so many. I know. I know that there's going to be somebody saying, you neglected such what and about? such. Yeah. And I, I am so sorry. It, we want to do an overview of denominations in the U.S., but it is there's so many. Even in Reformed, uh, I met a girl a few months ago, and she told me she went to a Presbyterian church, and it was a teeny tiny denomination I'd never heard of, that there's like three churches. So Right. Well, and at this point, I mean, there's there's a couple of things that are going on. You know, there are a number of um, Presbyterian Reformed denominations that are, you know, and we didn't even name all of the NAPARC ones. There are others that are Right. There's ones. some other NAPARC yeah. ones. Um, but you know, there are some denominations, and I would recommend, you know, like Colleen said about the name Reformed. When someone says they're Reformed, I would ask what they mean by it and really kind of ask them some pointed questions about what the beliefs are and why and what they mean, what they consider reformed, because you may find that you're using the word, but not meaning the same thing. So if you're looking for a church, I would be very careful about that. And, you know, there are a couple different denominations that are more recent, uh, like the CREC, as far as, you know, forming um, kind of a niche denomination. So those, there are some others that are around that are formed because the, pastors don't agree with anybody else pretty much and i don't know what else to say that's how they happen right um and it's not all of them but there are certainly some um whatever the bailey brothers are calling their current denomination uh, it's Eban- is there names. are they the evangel it's evangel now yeah. they were clear note they both came out of the pca um but now that's evangel so you know, there was an article in Modern Reformation in 1993 or 1994, and it was such a great article. It was by Michael Horton called How to Find a Church. I could not track it down because it's pre-internet days, so I don't know that it's available on the internet, or it might be behind the paywall on the White Horse Inn website. But uh, one of the things he talked about was having questions to ask um, pastors, and when when I moved, when I was kind of newly reformed, that's what I did. I was a single woman. I called a bunch of churches and at, I wrote out a list of questions and I asked those questions and that was, that was really helpful. They probably thought I was crazy because they probably didn't get a lot of calls like that asking them these pointed questions. And then when we moved to Colorado, we did the same thing. I actually had one PCA pastor say to me, so what exactly are you looking for? And I answered, and he said, I don't think we're the church for you. <laughs> but he said, we're seeker sensitive. And I said, well, we're oh. looking for a confessional, you know, reformed church. <laughs> so, so even within a denomination, you're going to find differences. So that's one thing I would recommend. Write a list of questions. You know, um, what are your doctrinal standards? That's a good question. Um, you know, and think of things if, you know, if you're married, you you and your husband talk about what things are important to you and and ask those questions. Well, I hope this was helpful. I know it's so much information. I'm going to put a lot in the episode notes this week. I'm sorry if we missed your denomination. There's just so many that we had to kind of pick the biggest or the ones uh, most connected to what we're doing here. So, 
we will see you next week.